0: All right, man. Welcome to the introduction of Crow 777 Radio, episode 146. Jason Lingren is with me, and we are going to go at subliminal messaging. I think most people will be surprised to see just how long... This has been part of Western society. We're going to reference studies that were done all the way back into the 50s. We'll talk about where and when and how it's supposedly been used. And at the end of the day, we will confirm that it is a powerful tool. But at the end of hour two, I close by simply saying the following if you can get into your adult higher mind, your common sense mind, you will be much more impervious to this type of programming. Uh, It has even been said, which is mentioned in this episode more than once, that people that are higher up the spiritual ladder can actually see what only the subconscious of others sees in terms of subliminal programming. Anyhow, let's jump in for 146 with Jason Lindgren and get subliminal. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 146. Jason Lingren is with me, and we are going to delve into subliminal messaging. It's a topic. that's not as clear cut as you would think, uh, but it, in one way, shape, or form, it is in nearly all media these days. Uh, welcome, Jason. Well, good morning to you. Yeah, back in the morning that uh, that evening shot we did last time around was rough. Do we have anything for the intro here? I don't. I don't think I do at all.
1: I am going to be on Lighting the Void with Joe Roop on uh, the Fringe FM on the day this episode is released, which is Thursday, February 7th, and it's late at night. I don't remember the exact time, so you'll have to look that one up, but I'll be on live with him for, I believe, two hours.
0: And to be clear, if I'm not mistaken, Fringe runs our first hours, right? That is correct. Yeah, we need to get more of that going on. Uh, the lock, well, that's one thing I can talk about here. The lockdown on YouTube is horrendous. Um, all the numbers on my YouTube channel are below 50% what they were before December 12th. Everything across the board except the hit count uh, on videos, which is a little low. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just shameful what's become of YouTube.
1: I think they always had this in mind. Get everyone hooked and then start doing their thing.
0: Yeah, it's it's beyond the pale. Um the, the referral rate to the website is like in negative numbers now, so don't know exactly how they're doing it, but it's pretty clear you can see a historic record over years, so it's not really deniable what's going on. But anyhow, do you wanna jump in here?
1: Let's do it. Let's do it. So we're gonna talk about subliminal messaging and all the things that go with it. There's a lot out there, as always happens, and of course, like I always say, had to skip some things. But let's go through the basic definition at first. Subliminal. Something that is not easily perceived but may be remembered due to constant repetition. Below the threshold of consciousness or apprehension, specifically involving or using stimuli intended to take effect subconsciously by repetition. In psychology, it would be defined as below the threshold of conscious perception inadequate to produce conscious awareness, but able to evoke a response. So subliminal messaging would be the use of subliminal techniques to get a message across to the intended audience without said audience actually knowing it was there.
0: And people, just just so you know, go on YouTube or anywhere else and just do a search for subliminal messaging and you'll be astounded. And Jason, are we going to end up covering the laws that were, I don't know, 60s, 70s, regarding this? Did we include that? We
1: are going to go through the FCC regulations. There are no actual laws in the United States.
0: Yeah. So what happens is uh, half of the subliminal messaging you see, or maybe even more than that, is plausibly deniable. But, you know, it's in in. When I was first aware of it, probably in the late 60s, there was this whole thing about like liquor ads that had ice in them. They'd airbrush the word sex, and we're going to cover some of these things. But what it's become now is on packaging, like Skittles is a famous one, just putting an S Skittle next to the word excite to get the word sex in. Um, there are many forms of
1: subliminal messaging. Anyhow, go ahead, man sex is the big one you see that over and over and over again sex and then explosive colors just to grab your attention so the mind sees these big bright garish colors all clashing with one another and somewhere in there is going to be embedded sex so it gets you
0: right and people need to to recall our color episode where we demonstrated that every color has its own frequency right um and this would relate to cymatics or any number of things and it's not really clear um, have there been studies done in secret that show that these, some of these garish, weird, non-natural colors have certain effects? Hard things to
1: prove. And before we get into the rest of this, I would definitely like to point out that there are no doubt lines that are being blurred between subliminal messaging and all-out mind control. And what would the differences be between those two? I think it honestly could just be debated. It depends upon how far that someone was willing to push the envelope, I would think. Well, even in something as common and everyday
0: work a day as sports, let's take the Super Bowl that just went by, um, that is a form of subliminal messaging, in my view, because forcing you to pick a side, it's not forcing you, it's offering you the opportunity to pick a side, which almost everyone who's invested in it does, um, and that's the old us and them idea. So that, on the face of it, probably is not considered purposeful subliminal messaging, but nonetheless... Um, uh, who can forget old Rome? You know, how do you control the people? Give them their bread and
1: circus. Um, sports in this country would be the circus. So it's important to note that there are two ways, when broken down to simple terms, that subliminal messages could be sent to the unconscious mind of the intended recipient. Those two ways would be auditory and visual. The earliest attempts for mind manipulation were auditory in nature. And this brings to mind,
0: you know, Jason, I just sent you a clip recently, Uh, I believe it was from the game Doom, where in an audio editor, there were images of an inverted pentagram, or basically a pentagram, um, and triple sixes written right into the waveform. Um, And this starts to speak to probably how far auditory programming has come. I mean, what's your take on it? You, You know, just about everything about this
1: type of thing. Well, that's how I wrapped it up, because historically speaking, that was more current. But with the digital age has come a time where you can do things that would have been much more difficult with analog. And that's stuff we're going to get into, like back masking and things like that. But be it tape or digital, you can still embed things in there, because a lot of times it's just about volume level or even the reversal, which can be done even though it's a little more time-consuming with good old-fashioned tape. These things can all be done, but now we have in the digital age, it's just so easy to narrow frequencies down to very specific, tiny little details. You can do things that just weren't even dreamed of 50 years ago.
0: In the clip that I sent you, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was the game Doom, there's pentagrams, but when the waveform is playing and you're looking at it in an audio editor, you can hear the kind of electronic stair-step tones that are making... Uh, the pentagram. So, I mean, what effect does this have on the listener? And for that matter, if this is in one game, do we have any reason to believe that there are forms of this in almost every game? And now we're talking about mostly young minds that are being exposed to these things. And these, you know, they haven't been around that long, per se. Uh, These are are hard things to nail down.
1: And what you're referring to is that stair-step effect that Autotune does, first made famous by Cher in the 90s, with her song, I think it was called Do You Believe in Love or something along those lines. And it's just hard tuning. The, the software is jumping from one note to the next without any smoothness in between when you do a complete hard tune. And the same thing is in that Doom clip where it's just jumping between those frequencies that are drawn out in the pentagram. And that's not difficult to do these days. And it does sound very jarring and very, I don't know how to explain it exactly because I just find it very... Synthetic. Yeah. It it sounds so not organic and it can be used artistically. You certainly can. I'm not going to say you can't use it in tasteful ways. Man, some of these rappers have used it as their shtick completely and utterly that this is all they do. There's up and down, up and down, up and down. But to me, it just it gets old real quick.
0: Well, the auto-tune, of course, allows people that can't sing to sing, but uh, in that same doom clip, it would you would hear that synthetic kind of electronic stair-step effect that drew the pentagram, and then there would be three sixes in between each pentagram, and on each six, it was like a bassy kind of boom, boom, boom. Quite a thing. People should check it out and start to become aware. Um, just putting on a head- pair of headphones, you may be getting more than you bargained for.
1: Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I think there's just about i think anything could really be embedded these days, at least within reason. You can do so many tracks, for instance, in digital audio if you have a, even a half decent computer these days, you could have so many tracks going it's ridiculous, and you could have little things coming in and out in and out in and out, and you can do it rhythmically and frequency wise and just really pound something in there and It makes me wonder just how much the powers that be have figured this out over the years, as you're going to see when we start going through all of the uh, history of this.
0: Right. For me, it was just, you know, you understand these things are going on. But when I did see finally the waveform of the Doom track, it was, just took me back a bit. You know, there's an actual shape being drawn in the waveform that you can hear. Uh, what is the effect of that on the listener? Hard to know.
1: So getting back into history, there's little doubt that an attempt to manipulate a mass audience of any sort would go all the way back to the beginning of human beings really gathering in groups and having tribes and or however you want to describe that. The orator would be using clever wording and particular cadences in any kind of public address where such a motive was at hand. The ancient Greeks for instance, used a technique that is very well documented that is called rhetoric
0: right um and this this would be the verbal use of tones, you know you're basically speaking uh it's the idea of maybe Adolf Hitler so charismatic as he's described, where he could really lift. Uh, The fervor in the audience, but we have other examples from old music. As a matter of fact, everyone's pretty much familiar with the supposed Beatlemania, which for my part was mostly staged, but there are early examples of that in rock and roll. I think Elvis is the first one cited, but it goes back before that even um, because Paganini – Uh, from way back was claimed to have had people get so excited in the audience, they would faint women mostly. And that was attributed to what was called the devil's interval. So there's little doubt um, that how audio is delivered to you can have absolute measurable effects on a human being.
1: Adolf Hitler is actually a very good example because he was trained by a stage magician. So he did everything he could to inspire the crowd to his message. So not only would he have the rising and the falling of his voice, he would gesticulate in a way that was matching up with what he was saying. And for all the things he probably did that were terrible, no one could ever take away from him that he was an amazing front man.
0: (laughs) Well, history is a light agreed upon, and I wasn't there, so it is difficult to know exactly what happened, but it does make you think. So you have a speaker like that up in front of a microphone who's apparently or supposedly getting the audience into a fervor, and then someone else comes up to the mic and it's not the same thing. Just to compare those two ideas demonstrates
1: the power of what audio can be. And that's what this is. This is all about that. So I think it's safe to say that Adolf Hitler used a form of rhetoric. Right. And let's define that. Rhetoric is the art of using language to convince or to persuade. Aristotle defined rhetoric as the faculty of observing in any given case the available means of persuasion. Since mastery of the art was necessary for victory in a case at law or for passage of proposals in the assembly or even for fame as a speaker in civic ceremonies, It had been called a combination of the science of logic and of the ethical branch of politics. Rhetoric typically provides heuristics for understanding, discovering, and developing arguments for particular situations, such as Aristotle's three persuasive audience appeals, logos, pathos, and ethos. The five canons of rhetoric, or phases of developing a persuasive speech, were first codified in classical Rome. Invention arrangement, style, memory, and delivery. From the time of ancient Greece through to the late 19th century, rhetoric, along with grammar and logic, which are also known as dialectic, is one of the three ancient arts of discourse, which played a central role in Western education in training orators, lawyers, counselors, historians, statesmen, and even poets.
0: So let's address it, man. The idea of rhetoric. I can tell you flat out that uh, I'm in my 50s and my lifetime at no time in any school did I ever have any class that taught me about rhetoric. Um, And you might think, so what? Well, I'll tell you why. So what? There's a time not too far back when the seven so-called seven liberal arts were taught. Rhetoric was part of that. If you go today to remaining Buddhist temples where monks are being trained, rhetoric is a part of that. In other words, there was a time not too, too far back when rhetoric was taught to those who would be educated, and it is sadly lacking for at least half a century in Western culture. What's the reason for that? Why is rhetoric, which is clearly so important, not taught to anyone? And I would surmise that maybe it's easier to employ the techniques we're going to talk about for people who have never been trained on uh, the, the value and power of a thing like rhetoric, which in some ways does cross or blur the line between subliminal messaging. After all, one speaker can captivate an audience and then another one not so much. What's the difference, I would ask?
1: After clever usages in speech, subtle images would also, no doubt at times, have been integrated into any postings made to the public to help spread whatever message was trying to be conveyed. There is also the notion of secret imagery being embedded in art, and many have done this kind of work over the years with famous pieces to show as much. I believe The Last Supper is one of the great examples of this kind of idea
0: right and to some degree what's going on there from my point of view yeah. is that there are more than one message being offered up and only initiated people are going to get the deeper meanings Um, And this this brings up the idea of things like masterful speaking, right, where someone says something and what audience just hears what's on the surface, but other people that are in the know hear so much more. And I could ask, is this a form of subliminal communication or is it something else? And again, 50 to one, half dozen to the
1: other, right, or 12, (laughs) you know what I'm saying. This could also tie into what we discussed with Wayne last week with the concept of memes and all that. Secret societies put little things out there all the time, but most people don't really know what's going on. They they can't read the message. They just know that there's something there, or sometimes they don't even know there's anything there. They The interesting thing about it is they kind of dismiss it out of hand. There's all these symbols being put out there and we're getting to a point now where people definitely have noticed more than, say, 20 years ago, but do they really understand what the heck they're all about? No. (laughs) No, mostly not, but
0: the devil is in the details in these things, and you do see in the current age a lot more people paying attention to details. You know, here's an example. Um, I had looked at uh, paintings, portraits of important people in royalty from maybe the 1800s back, and the number of them uh, was astonishing, where they're holding their hand against their body, the pinky and the index finger are flexed out, and the two fingers in between are together, making a kind of trident. Um, There are endless portraits where this is going on. They're they're basically throwing a gang sign, right? So how did we come through so much history with without people saying, why the hell are they always throwing this gang sign? What does it mean? But yet it seemingly was never addressed, at least not up until the current age where people are starting to say, wait a minute, why are we seeing this hand sign thrown over and over and over? And it's always royalty or important people or the supposed Christopher, yeah, right, Columbuses of our world.
1: Well, we just asked Jay-Z. He seems to have an idea of what that's all about.
0: Yeah, but by the time it gets to him, it's just West Coast, right? So it's even even that meaning has been diminished.
1: <laughs> so are there East Coast Illuminati signs and West Coast Illuminati signs? I really don't know.
0: Yeah, I guess if you're a rapper, it's devolved to that. It's basically in the basement at that point.
1: No matter what, though, that guy is laughing all the way to the bank.
0: Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the long run. I mean, you can't take it with you. What comes
1: next? Betrayal of all of humanity. Yeah, good luck with that. Next, let's talk about a gentleman named Edward Wheeler Scripture, who lived from 1864 until 1945. He was an American physician and psychologist. He founded the Experimental Psychology Laboratory at Yale University, directed the Vanderbilt Speech Clinic at Columbia University, and was a founder of the American Psychological Association. Uh, there's our lovely Columbia again and again and again.
0: Is it never ends, it will play heavily when we do the tech uh the
1: tech technocratic idea. Trained under experimental psychology pioneer Wilhelm Wundt, Scripture became best known for his contributions to speech science. In eighteen ninety-seven he published a rather interesting book called The New Psychology. An excerpt on subliminal stimuli reads as follows. The basic idea of subliminal give-me-all-your-money stimuli is to implant an idea in an individual's give-me-all-your-money mind. The best way in which to do so is to subtly give-me-all-your-money, implant the idea in the individual's mind over and give-me-all-your-money over again.
0: So basically what we're talking about here is repetition, right, Jason? I mean, is is that what you're drawing from this?
1: Absolutely. You're implanting the concept you want to get across to the recipient over and over and over again. Now, that one obviously is kind of silly and blatant, and anyone would pick up on it like, what? What are you saying, man?
0: Well, let's let's give a modern example. Uh, how many YouTube clips have people seen where someone goes out across the United States and just grabs news clips from fifty different news places in fifty different states, and they are verbatim reading from the same script it's identical there are endless or there used to be before youtube started scrubbing content anyhow endless examples of this and that is a perfect example over a huge audience of what repetition can do and to some agree at some degree this is the whole basis for modern politics They just say some crap over and over and over. And then you go out into your world, you go to get a cup of coffee, and what do you hear? Some drooling individual in the coffee shop repeating what Fox or CNN just echoed over and over and over. So you you better understand this stuff works for the minds that are not paying attention, basically.
1: Commercials, jingles, slogans, all of these things are basically using this concept. It's not necessarily subliminal, I guess to a point you could say it is, but it is absolutely repetition, and they're just going to pound that at you over and over and over again. Good example, McDonald's. I'm loving it because you love McDonald's, so why don't you go get some McDonald's? Go spend some money at McDonald's. Go buy a hamburger at McDonald's over and over and over again. Combine that not just with television commercials, but anything on the radio, anything you see on the Internet, billboards everywhere then seeing the actual Golden Arch signs everywhere for the actual restaurants. They're good at what they do now. You are being bombarded from so many directions constantly. And I really think it's one of the things contributing to this whole general malaise that everyone has. Because you're hit with so much stimuli constantly. All you got to do is walk down the street and you're going to be bombarded with it, both visually and auditory.
0: Right, and we don't only we we don't only see the repetition game played with speech. Um, consider, remember the old Intel commercials where the three or four tones would play at the end of every commercial. We see it. I don't know whether it's Verizon where it goes dun 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 dun. Um, you know, you hear these types of things over and over and over. That basically the same thing is being done with tones. It's almost like Pavlov's dogs, right? In in the old. Story of Pavlov, he rings the bell and all the dogs salivate because they know it's time to eat.
1: Uh, similar thing going on here. Taco Bell with their little bell that goes dong at the end of every commercial. I don't know if they still use that, but they did for a very long time. It's the same thing. I don't know what tone that is. N- I've never analyzed it, but I'm sure I could go find it and figure it out. It's, it's that kind of thing, though. It's a certain piece of stimulus that is going to get lodged in your brain that when you hear it, it's going to be a trigger. And that trigger is going to be, go get Taco Bell.
0: Right. It's almost diabolical in its implementation, but it's plausibly deniable at the same time. Who can forget the J.G. Wentworth, which I will not echo that nonsense, Um, but the J.G. Wentworth commercial is a perfect example of a mind hook in the same way through repetition.
1: There's a lawyer here who goes after the big trucking companies when they have accidents, and he's so good at this he's got commercials everywhere and literally billboards my my daughter has a game called uh she counts them (laughs) how many are on this road because the guy's got it everywhere and it's the same thing he must spend an absolute fortune on all this crap but he knows what he's doing he's pounding it into your brain over and over and over again so god forbid you do have a truck accident That's going to be the very first thing you think of is this dude. You're going to be like, I know what to do. I'm going to call this guy and he's going to take care of it for me because I've seen 500 billion of his billboards just today.
0: Yeah, it's almost the foundation of all modern marketing, right? Um, I wonder if we could track this back to Bernays, actually, um, and Fifth Fifth Avenue in New York, where, where all the marketing that invented Christmas, as we have it now, happened. Um, and, and even examples of it online, right? What what makes for a successful ad? Well, how many eyes saw it, right? That's always the, the metric. How many clicks? How many eyes? Um, and what's that about? That's about repetition and size of audience. That's what it's about.
1: Well, I can tell you in the heyday of Bernays really getting kicked off, I have definitely listened to old time radio in the past. I kind of got a kick out of the shadow and the commercials. <laughs> they, it's obviously the whole thing's in its infancy, but the repetition is still there. Blue anthracite coal, which is actually uh, something that comes from where I'm from in northeastern Pennsylvania. It's why it grew so much so fast. Over and over and over again, they're talking about how awesome blue anthracite coal is, and they just hit you over and over and over again so that, I don't know how many companies back in the 20s and 30s were around, but no matter what, blue anthracite coal is what's going to be in your head when you're starting to get cold and you need to order something to keep you warm this winter. Get blue anthracite coal. Well, it's
0: a good example you use. I'm not even old enough to remember. I mean, I'm aware of them, but the radio shows, but I can tell you flat out, the shadow knows. And therein is the proof of
1: repetition and taglines and branding and these types of thing. That's just it. That's a great early example. The shadow knows. Everybody knows that. I think today a lot of people would still recognize that little tagline, even if they don't know what's from. It's so ingrained into the culture and there's so many things that are like that. Well, that could be said to be a subliminal programming of sorts. And again, this is where I say there's a blurred line between this and mind control because if they're literally getting something embedded in your mind and you don't even know where it came from, could that be considered mind control? I'm, I think that's debatable. Well,
0: we could point out the obvious once again at the basis of this. We're talking in some forms of subliminal messaging as language, right? And how do you make a word? Well, you spell, right? You're casting a spell. And People don't think about it in this way because when they were in grade school, they were taught how to spell, but it's the same idea. Basically, a mind thinks of an idea, um, and until it's broadcast out into the world, it's just an idea, but it is a spell. You're making something out of nothing. Um, We've used the blue ball example endlessly, where everyone who just heard me say that had a vision in their mind, many of them did, of a blue ball. That is a form of magic, and that is the foundation uh, for so much of the subliminal messaging, but it gets much more cryptic and sneaky um, than just that basic foundation.
1: Here's an interesting example to see if anybody has something stuck in their head like it is in mine. Western education in the United States. A baloo is a bear. If anybody has heard that before email me at secretsofsaturn at gmail.com, and let's see how many of you had that stuck in your head. And I'll tell you what it came from on the next episode. Now, obviously in the past, when there was no technology to assist with any of this, the whole point behind using any of this would be to make someone the center of attention. You'd have to be a good speaker. And I would think that the better the speaker, the more manipulative they could be and the more they could get across and sway an audience to do whatever it is they wanted to do. So the best leaders were no doubt the most charismatic best speakers in the past. But then we start getting into the age of radio, and someone could sit behind a desk with a microphone and really write out what it is they want and be more focused on it. So keep that in mind that that's the real big first technological jump that's going to make a huge difference on this whole concept that we're getting into here. The BBC, or the British Broadcasting Corporation, was started in 1920, but not officially founded until 1922. At this time, of course, it began its broadcasts on the wonderful new invention of the wireless, or what we now call radio. I had trouble verifying the following story, although I saw it reproduced in many places, so of course, as always, take it as you will. The story says that the British folk at the dawn of radio thought of it as sinister, possibly even the voice of the devil coming out of the little box. The newly forming BBC wanted to change this notion, so they placed certain phrases using a technique called backward masking in their jingles. The treated radio jingle or jingles were aired, sounding completely innocent, but when played backwards would reveal the desired change of thought. Backwards, the words were, this is not a noose, no really, it's not, can clearly be heard. The BBC believed the subconscious could pick up the backward messages in the forward speech. And again, I don't really know whether this is true or not, but it is a technique that would absolutely be used in the following decades in many different mediums.
0: Well, bringing common sense to bear, um, I would state all day that not only did they know what they were doing, they were doing it knowing it would work. After all, how many people out there listening think the Beatles invented backwards masking? They did not. And yet, in this world, when we walk out into a day, common sense tells us that if I see a rabbit, guess what? I know there's more rabbits in the world. If I see a daisy, guess what? I know there's more daisies in the world. So applying that common sense logic to this and something as popular as the Beatles, it does not surprise me in the least, and I expect it to be true when we roll it back to 1922 or the beginning of wireless and it would not surprise me in the least to understand that uh, people were shocked by the technology and thinking it was evil. Look how much new technology is coming online right now, where if you examine it, you're just like shaking your head, saying, is this a good thing? Um, so these things are not hard to accept as probable, Jason.
1: My only problem with the story is what medium did they use to record in a multi-track fashion back that early? I don't know off the top of my head if they had the means, but... Maybe they did it live and just got a single take. I don't really know. I couldn't find a lot of evidence to back up that story. But could it be done? I assume so. I think they could be clever enough to get it onto some sort of medium. Early tape of some sort, I would assume. Before that, there were wire recorders and there were things around even in the 1920s. Sure, man. If you can get it on tape, you can play it backwards. And even if tracking
0: was a problem, you could just do it live in front of the mic, couldn't you?
1: Right, exactly. Even if they had to do a single pass, as long as they timed it right. And man, things were done like that all the way up into the 50s. Single takes on things, bands playing live, all that. So, yeah.
0: Well, think about an analog version of a multi-track when you don't have a multi-track. So you get five tape-to-tape, you know, reel-to-reel tape players, and you put a live mic in front of it, and you record everything off all five, and then the recording that you've made combines all fives, in essence, almost like an analog five-track,
1: right? Yeah, and then you would fly them all down to one by playing all that back and recording it onto one single one expensive process, but it could have been done. Of course, multi-tracking makes it really, really easier. There's another piece of
0: evidence here that really points to this being probable, and that is the idea of people who were attributed to backwards speaking and backwards writing. After all, if we want to go way back to what I consider a character of history, da Vinci, supposedly wrote everything backwards. There's an idea from supposed antiquity. We could come up into the time of a man supposedly named Crowley. Uh, I have problems all day long with the story of Crowley, but nonetheless, there are plenty of books that have real ideas that we can read, and you are exhorted that you should learn to read and speak backwards because it will help your magical abilities. So, I mean, we have examples all day long. So, to me, this is highly probable.
1: Backwards in and of itself also has a very weird connotation to it. For instance, if you've seen the movie Eyes Wide Shut in the famous scene where Tom Cruise walks into the ceremony, they're playing a Romanian Catholic ceremony backwards, I believe it was, something to that effect. And that's what is used as the backdrop of their ceremony, a backwards Christian ceremony. You
0: know, I've seen people go at language pointing out that there are languages that are older than English, and they go right to left, right? Um, And they were making the claim that English was built as a bastardized language meant for control. Um, You even hear people refer to it sometimes as Pig Latin, uh, and the claim – some of the claims that I've seen are people trying to suss it out with enough evidence to make it stick are saying basically we're using backwards language right now. We just don't know any better. And while I haven't taken the time to look at these ideas, it's pretty clear that there are many minds out there that are waking up to the details of a thing and trying to get down to brass tacks.
1: So the use of messaging as blatant propaganda was used in cartoons of the World War II era, with contributions from Looney Tunes and Walt Disney and, I believe, quite a few others, having subtle and not-so-subtle ideas being pushed on the viewer. Were there actual subliminal messages embedded in the animations? It wouldn't surprise me at all, although I didn't find anything specifically on it. But when you're drawing 24 frames a second, I think it could easily be done— The United States wasn't the only country to produce this sort of material either. Lots of other countries had their own versions on both sides of World War II.
0: Right, and there's examples that will back this idea up all day. Do do an image search for subliminal messaging, and almost certainly one of the images that comes up will be Minnie Mouse holding what appears to be a penis. It's clearly sex drawn into a subliminal messaging, but what's disturbing about it is these are Mickey and Minnie Mouse, these are supposed to be for children, right? And then we could take it to the other uh, side of the spectrum where it's not so much sex, but it's violence. Consider something like Coyote and Roadrunner. Uh, It's been pointed out endlessly that the whole basis for that cartoon is to instill violence. Um, And if you look at any given episode of that, I think that's hard to argue that it's not.
1: Well, those early cartoons were incredibly violent, even the original runs of Tom and Jerry, all those they're just doing terrible things to each other with no consequences, really. Sure, they're, they're getting, quote unquote, hurt at the time, but then it's just shaken off and onward they go. So yes, these things are definitely giving an example that things can happen with no consequence, which is, of course, just not true.
0: Well, we have the examples. Again, do your image search for subliminal messaging and you'll see an endless litany of Disney things. You'll see the Lion King when they're I guess the the little lion is up on the rock ledge there and sex is drawn out into the smoke. That's been demonstrated. Uh, The cover of Little Mermaid when... Whatever the king's name is standing in front of the castles, there's penises drawn into the spires of the castles. It goes on and on and on, and these are up into the modern era. So it's not really deniable to me that people aren't well aware of subliminal messaging and implementing it. And as we opened with, sex apparently always sells. There's never been a time when it doesn't, and maybe there will never be a time when it it quits being sellable. But right now, uh, we see so much sexual innuendo put into the messaging.
1: Yeah, as a matter of fact, even in the, uh, the old World War II cartoons, there really wasn't a massive sexual message as far as the buy war bonds or join the service kind of thing. But sex was portrayed as the temptation of evil, funny enough. And you see that concept in there. Spending money unnecessarily and sex and distraction and all that because you weren't focused on winning the war for your country.
0: Right, and how often do these sex combined with the idea of violence, let's go back to World War II where the pinup girls are painted on the side of bombers right? So what are those bombers supposed to be doing? Anyone can put it together. So why would we have a sexual depiction of a pinup girl on a on a destructive machine like that? We could come up into the modern era where they go to gun shows, there's always a a girl in a bikini showing you the next best machine gun. Um, This is also a form of subliminal mind influence.
1: Girls lying on the car. Yeah, exactly. Whatever car they're trying to sell, you know, that's such a common one. You see this over and over and over again.
0: Well logically it makes no sense if you buy that car there's not a girl coming with it. So what logical sense does it make? You know, it's completely it's a complete mind manipulation to get your logical mind to quit working and your fantastic fantasy based mind to kick in. It's almost like that bullet point you read earlier buy 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 buy, you know, sex 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 sex, similar effect.
1: How about the hot girl who comes out in between rounds of a boxing match walking around with the sign
0: there it is: violence and sex, coupled once again. Here's two guys beating their brains out. But by the way, look at this girl in a bikini. What logical sense does any of it make? It's it's a feast for the senses. It is uh, taken to absurd levels for people who can still use their common sense mind. Um, the idea of how do you control the people? You know, bread and circus. So
1: that's the circus we're pointing at. In 1956. The first admitted television experiment with subliminal projection occurred in England. The BBC TV, on a regular broadcast, transmitted a message at a speed that was assumed to be subliminal. After the program, viewers were asked to report whether they had noticed anything unusual. Relatively few responded with only a small percentage correctly identifying the flashed message, taking into consideration how few responses had Come in, it was suggested that some of the viewers possessed thresholds sufficiently low that, for them, the message was supraliminal. <laughs>
0: So not only did it work, but it really worked. Some people got it, and they didn't even—they couldn't even repeat it. Um, we'll get into these ideas. I—I uh, I would swear there were laws early in the 70s or 60s that started to address things like, in a film, just a regular film, uh, they would insert a partial or a single frame of a naked lady or a penis to use that type of subliminal messaging, which is a bit like what we're talking about. But Jason, this also echoes out to a more modern claim. I can't remember the cartoon, but there was a black and white flashing on the cartoon that had people going to seizures and fits. Do you recall?
1: No, but that was a claim made with later stuff with Japanese animation with all the flashing and the lights and movement, all that. So that concept is definitely out there that has caused issues multiple times through history, I would say.
0: Well, even after that, I mean, it's been years now since that was put out. And I looked at it at the time and it seemed like it was probably correct that 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 was happening. The reason is is because I know uh, there have been things in audio like drum beats that got too close to the heart rate and it starts messing with people's hearts. But Samurai Jack, way back in the day, in the 90s, I think it was, maybe it was in the 2000s, I don't remember, the beginning of that does a spiral black and white flash where if you look at that too carefully, you start to get a bit dizzy. Similar thing going on there and it was done after the initial claim. Was it a Simpsons, maybe? I just don't remember. And then later... Uh, pushed into anime i just don't remember jason but people could look that up
1: well the thing of flashing lights and colors and all that really started taking prominence in the psychedelic era places like the ufo club and things like that it wouldn't just be the bands playing this outer spacey kind of music but it's also the environment all the stimuli and that would be really taken to new extremes with the concept of raves in the 90s and 2000s and all that you're taking drugs you're having this music pumping at you and then you have lights going at you and it's an experience and it's an experience that can really manipulate your mind and really take you out of your current conscious level
0: you know i just saw an interesting thing the other day that may play in this vein hard to know uh it was the last attempted field goal kick of the rams and the in the uh, Super Bowl we just had. uh, The replay, not the initial view, but the replay shows an angle where the lights on the upper decks, and you have to slow it down to realize it, are flashing very quickly in sequence. People should check it out as the ball falls. It falls past a section 118 and 119 for anyone who cares to count the ways, falling the ball by an 11 jersey down, and then of course flashing to number 11 on the field. Um, But check out those lights and you do have to slow it down to understand that those lights are flashing in sequence. Hard to understand what's going on there, but it sure seems a bit peculiar hint, hint, hint.
1: Well, the 9-11 thing, come on, man. How much is that embedded in stuff in an obvious way and a not so obvious way?
0: It gets to be so ubiquitous, but this is the example in that uh, replay clip. It's it's just flashed for a very quick period of time. It's on the wall as a section, 118 and 119. It, go, it goes on and on. It, it happens so much as to be just annoying uh, for me. The repetition of it is now almost like getting a, a splinter in my thumb. You know, it's like annoying on a level like that. It's like, just stop. All right. Just stop already.
1: <laughs> Moving through the 1950s, we see the first highly publicized use of subliminal messaging techniques. Following World War II, a booming economy had emerged in the United States, which was a drastic difference to the pre-war depression era, where there was never enough money for so many people. After the war, however, there was work for nearly everyone. That work brought in money, and companies began making products to sell like hadn't been seen in a long time, or perhaps, now that I think about it, maybe ever This also brought in the concept of mass marketing and advertising, with the advertising men of the day using whatever techniques they could come up with to attract potential purchasers for their clients. The ad man also began having a reputation as a manipulator of the consuming masses. As in 1957, Vance Packard published a book called The Hidden Persuaders, This book apparently laid apparent the blossoming advertising industry's methods that they were appropriating from psychology and sociology. The claims in the book that such techniques were being used not just to sell products, but also in the areas of religion and politics.
0: Very few people understand that what we're talking about here is the foundation for a thing we call marketing. And it's not an honest thing. Everything about what we now call marketing is underhanded and manipulative. After all, we can point to things in our culture that demonstrate this, like what does it mean if you call someone a used car salesman? What are you saying about that person, right? You're saying that they're trying to rip you off and they're manipulative. Right, that's, that's what it's about. And very few people consider that we are surrounded by marketing all day, every day in the current era. And again, the basis for all marketing is ma- manipulative at the very least.
1: The least you could say about it is it's a manipulation. The television show Mad Men, if anyone has seen it, kind of gives you a fictionalized but dramatized version of what was going on behind the scenes. And when they have their little meetings showing their ideas for a particular company's pitch, you kind of get the idea how this stuff was being thought up way back when. And you can see how it would lead up to today because obviously they're looking back in hindsight. But the concepts were there, and they were definitely shown in that show over the course that it ran. And the years it's supposed to be representing were 1960 uh, up to about 1970, I think. I never really watched it that much, but they go through the years and you can see how things change.
0: You know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, there were a number of advertisements uh, that became uh, part memes in the cultural consciousness. And I would ask simple questions like, in the current era for the millennials who were not alive in that time, how many people are aware of the Tootsie Pop commercial, you know, how many licks does it take <laughs> to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Yeah. I'll bet you there are endless millennials, but there were other things like, where's the beef? That was another one um, that emerged, and it and it demonstrates what we're saying here, the power of a well-crafted advertisement, what it can do, and in, in some ways, it, it steers society, if you think about it.
1: Also in the year 1957, we see public concern about subliminal messaging when a marketing researcher decided to give it a go. James Vickery, known as one of the infamous madman advertisers, which the show that I just mentioned is based off, based off of, claimed dramatic increases in the sales of both Coca-Cola and popcorn when he flashed the phrases, drink Coca-Cola and eat popcorn for one two thousandth of a second during a movie being shown at a particular cinema in Fort Lee, New Jersey. The statistics supposedly showed an increase in popcorn sales by 58% and an increase in Coca-Cola sales by 18%. The story of this incident suggests that this information then led to an enormous response from the public. Individuals as well as legislators imagined possible effects of subliminal perception on the future, a world where everyone was subliminally manipulated to do what perhaps the government wanted them to do. In reality, though, research on subliminal effects had shown little overall effects in controlled conditions. There is no evidence based in real-world settings done by top researchers on influencing behavior that came out at the time. Also in 1962, James Vickery is supposed to have stated that the study was a fabrication and the evidence pretty much suggests that it was or at least exaggerated. He never released any detailed descriptions of his study and there was never any independent evidence to support what he claimed. Now, I also had a thought to that, that perhaps it worked better than they had hoped and they wanted to kind of keep that under wraps. But that's just me being conspiratorial.
0: No, that's you being common sense. There's enough evidence out there. And not only is that common sense, it's still the same idea. If I see a tulip, I know there's more tulips in the world. These things have been done from that time to this time. And they're talking about a, a time in the future where everyone's, you know, subject to subliminal pro. Well, Welcome to that time. That time is right now. Um, How many shows have we done showing what's embedded in games? How many shows have we done and showing what's embedded in music? Um, And now we're getting around to advertising and speech and everything. Uh, If this stuff didn't work, it wouldn't be done. Uh, Do we suppose for a second that all that back backmasking that went into the Beatles albums was done just because they were bored or stoned? And by the way, once the Beatles did it, how many other bands did? Lots and lots. So, I mean, the proof is in the pudding here, Jason.
1: Now, just to explain for anyone who doesn't know, and maybe I should have said this earlier, film and also on television in the United States is shown at 24 frames per second, meaning to make an image in one second that seems like it's fluid motion, 24 individual pictures need to be shown in that moment. And you can start thinking about how easy it would be to insert little things when you're talking about A period of time chopped down to that little bit of space. Now take that concept and increase it by a factor of oh I guess almost three when video games that run smoothly to give that fluid motion are at 60 frames a second and they're also at much higher resolutions than television would have been way back in the day. So you're staring at the Uh, images and all this being refreshed and bombarded into your brain at these very fast levels. Goodness knows what exactly is really going on inside your mind with this. But there have been many studies done to show that when you watch television, you slip into some sort of alpha state, kind of like a dream state. And you are indeed very open to messaging coming into you. You ever walk into a living room with your family sitting there staring at the boob tube and they're almost drooling on themselves because they've been so taken in? I've seen that plenty of times.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll offer, you know, some people may be sitting out there thinking, uh, we don't, we don't know what we're talking about, but I'll give you a, a real world example that you can do that will probably astonish you because when I did it, it astonished the living bejesus out of me. Take a camera. Uh, Probably not a cell phone because you can't set the frame rate. Bear in mind what we said earlier about 24 frames per second, which means each frame is 1 24th of a second. When they were doing things like putting a nude woman or a penis into the frames, they would cut it down so that particular frame went by in 1 2,000th of a second. So take a camera where you can set the frame rate. Go in and turn on any national news or any national commercial and just start clicking off stills at a very high frame rate one sixteen hundredth of a second or something like that and you have to do it for a little while but review what you shoot because that camera can in fact pick up what your waking mind cannot because it's just pulling that one two thousandths of a second image out for you and that's still and i if you do this long enough you will be stunned by what you find so there's all that jason
1: yeah and you can think of it even in this context Randy from Houston has spoken about shooting these super fast drones and things flying by when he's shooting at 60 frames a second and only one or two, maybe three of those frames actually have the little craft, whatever it is, in the shot because it's going so fast that – The human eye is almost not capable of detecting it. He's trained himself enough that he's picking up on it, but it's going so fast he doesn't know exactly what it is. But once he reviews the footage and slows it down to that frame by frame, lo and behold, there it is. It's an easy way to visualize what exactly they're doing to embed these things in there.
0: It is a good example and I have direct experience with this. Before I was filming and uploading on YouTube, I had filmed the sky previous with just kind of a crappy consumer grade camera. Um, the kind that you would pick up at just, you know, an average store, like a Best Buy or something, not a good, um, DSLR, just the, the precursors to that consumer grade. But the one I had ran at 60 frames a second and there were endless times when I just pointed up at a blue sky and there would be one or two frames of this thing shooting by and you can't see it till you review the video frame by frame by frame. Um, but it's absolutely real. And I would go as far to say as anyone on any given day uh, that takes a little bit of time, maybe it might take more than one sitting shooting at 60 frames a second. You'll see just how many things are zipping by up there all the time. And again, uh, it shows the subliminal nature of what we're talking about because your naked eye can't detect it.
1: And are they doing that with all of this advertising or whatever else they want to get in there? Of course they are. And they've been doing it for a long time. And I strongly suspect that we don't even know just how much it's been done or just how effective it is. Because if they found way back when in the 1950s or whatever that this was more effective, at least in certain cases, I'm pretty sure they'd keep that on the down low for whatever they wanted to do with it.
0: Well, I can remember back far enough before all this reach and technology was in everybody's home everywhere, um, and they were airbrushing things into glasses of ice for liquor commercials and other things, and basically most of that was about sex sells. But again, a thing does not get done over and over and over because it costs money to implement these things. Um, So there is a measurable effect, or they wouldn't bother.
1: And that's going to bring us to the top of the hour for hour one. In hour two, we're going to get into what the FCC had to say about a lot of this stuff because people did squawk about it and go through the rest of the history and then start giving examples that were very blatant as the decades rolled by and how obvious it is that this must really be being used in pretty much all mainstream media at this point to some degree or another.
0: Indeed, that does bring us to the top of the hour for episode 146. I hope you all will join us for the second hour provided for members over at Crow777radio.com. Upon the posting of this, we're down roughly 50% uh, from YouTube referrals because of the censorship that's been going on. But I ask you, everything we addressed in hour one, does a thinking, common sense human being have the right to address these things and for my money all day long every day? There's nothing wrong with what we're doing here, but truth be told, in Hour 2, we can certainly speak more openly and freely and address more sensitive topics. So there it is, man. Hope to see you all over at CrowTriple7Radio.com for Hour 2. Cheers.